Well, good morning. Yeah, my welcome. I'm glad you're here. Not long ago in the mail, I got one of those credit card advertisements. And the way we work is we have a credit card. We do all our purchases. We get 1%. It goes right into our checking account. But they were offering a little higher percentage. And so I begin to look at what are the details, what are the perks, and, and what they wanted me to do was switch my purchases from the card I had to their card. And, and as I waited out, I thought, you know, the inconvenience stuff, is, I, I'm not going to make that switch. So we're accustomed to being asked to make a switch like that. God is calling us to make a switch. And it, it's not a switch of credit cards, it's a switch of, what are we counting on? What are we staking our life on? Maybe for some of us, it's our, our job, or our family, or our popularity. Uh, we're celebrating our nation today, and I don't know about you, but I count myself blessed to have been born in this country. And yet history, yeah, history will tell us that nations don't last. They come and go. I think our nation was founded on an exceptional idea that rights come from God and, and not, not, a, not a rule. Uh, maybe you're, you're basing uh, you're everything on, on this nation. That, there's no guarantee. But God is calling whatever we're staking our life on to make a switch to Him. Full on. Why? The question I want to ask is why would we make that kind of switch? Well, if you've got a Bible, if you open it, to Genesis 26, I want to go through this chapter and wrestle with this question. Why should we stake our life on God's promises? Why should we stake our life on God's promises? Genesis 26. As you're turning there, quick overview of Genesis. Genesis 1 to 11, God creates. Humanity pushes back. No thanks. I think I'll do my own. I think I'll make a name for ourselves. That was the idea in Genesis 11 as they built this tower. God says in Genesis 12, uh, I'm, I'm pushing back on that, I'm not accepting that, and I'm going to reinsert myself through a people. I'm going to show myself. I'm going to make this people's name great. And he started with a guy named Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and he said, I want you to leave everything you know and go to a land you don't know and, and follow me fully. And I'm going to multiply you, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're gonna, you're, your descendants are going to be a multitude, but the, the one problem they have is they, had, well, they weren't able to have a son. It took about 24 years after that. And finally, the son Isaac, Isaac marries Rebecca. Abraham and Sarah have died, so, so Isaac's up. Isaac's carrying on this blessing. And here's where we start. It says this in Genesis 26, 1. Now, there was a famine in the land. Besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham, so Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. See, with this, so, so Isaac's in the promised land with his wife and his two sons, and there's a famine. And so he's got to leave, and he's got to go to Gerar, the, the king of the Philistines, another foreign country. Isaac's supposed to be, you know, he's supposed to be the, in the line. You're going to have a multitude of descendants. You're going to inherit the land. Well, he's only four. Right? He and his wife and two sons. What's Isaac got going for him? Here's what he has going for him. Verse 2. The Lord appeared to him. The Lord showed up. 
The Lord's hand is on Isaac. That's what he has going for him. Outside of all the circumstances that seem out of control, he's in this land, and now there's a famine, now he's got to go to another land. The Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. That's what his father Abraham did when he faced a famine. Stay in the land in which I should tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and will give your descendants all these lands and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commands, my statutes, and my my laws. So God shows up and he reminds Isaac, you're in line for these promises. What did Isaac do to earn that? Nothing, nothing. He just happened to be in the line of favor. Think of the, the grandkid, the nine-year-old grandkid, who grandma and grandpa decide they're going to have a family trip down to Disney, all expenses paid. So he's in Disney. He's doing any ride he wants. What did he do to earn that? Nothing. Zero. He just happened to be in the right family, and grandma and grandpa are putting the bill in this thing. That's Isaac. You've and given God's favor because you're in the line of Abraham. Verse 6. So Isaac lived in Gerar. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he was what? He was afraid. Most of you know this. You've been here a while. But God's number one command to his people is what? Do not what? Do not fear. You give him the fear, all kinds of bad stuff happens. And he's passing his wife off as his sister. Do we have any precedent for this? We sure do. His father Abraham did it twice. But he's living in fear. Even as this guy says, do not fear. My hand is on you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to do he's living in fear. So he says, it's my sister. For he was afraid to say my wife, thinking the men of this place might kill me on the account of Rebecca, for she is beautiful. But God steps in. Remember, the, 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 the king, the kings of the world, the leaders of the world, are in the hands of God. He controls them. They're not sovereign. He is. Came about when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through the window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebecca. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she's my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said I might die on account of her. Abimelech says, What this have you done to us? One of the people might have easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech charged all people, saying, He who touches this man or wife or his wife will surely be put to death. So God steps in, moves in the hand of the king. He sees what's going on. Not only that, but God prospers Isaac. Verses 12 through 14. Now Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer. He became very wealthy. Now what happens when people grow wealthy? What do people around them do? They get what? They get jealous. You guys, you're smart. 
For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household so that the Philistines envied him. Now the bummer is, Isaac's a refugee. Isaac doesn't have citizenship. He doesn't have rights here. And the people are jealous. How's this going to go? Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines, stopped up by filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you're too powerful us, for us. And then Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. So he's pushed out. That doesn't deter Isaac. He, he, he just kind of tries to bloom where he planted. Verse 18, then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the same names which his father had given them. When Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. So he named the well Isaac, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over it, so that he moved. He named it Sitna. So it's just anything Isaac does, he faces opposition. Verse 22, he moved away from there and dug another well, so they did not quarrel over it, so he named it Rehoboth. For he said, at last the Lord has made room for us, and we'll be fruitful in the land. So he's a foreigner. He's supposed to be in the promised land. There's famine there. Go to Gerar. Get pushed out. Hey, you're too powerful. Move over here. Okay, we dig some wells. Hey, you're taking our water. Okay, I'll dig some more wells. Hey, you're taking our water. And What's Isaac got going for him? Not a lot. Except this. Verse 23. Then he went there to Beersheba. The Lord appeared to him. Second time. God appears to Isaac. Same night and said, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Do not what? Do not fear. Well, I'm a foreigner and I'm being pushed around. I I have no rights. Do not fear. Why? Because I'm sovereign over this. I'm in control of this. For I am with you. What circumstances in your life cause you fear? God is saying the same thing he said to Isaac. Do not fear. It's what he spoke to those people. From Revelation, Genesis to Revelation. Do not fear. Why? I'm with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. He responds to God in worship. But... The euphoria is short-lived because he has another apparent conflict. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with his advisor Ahuzeth and Phicol, the commander of his army. Okay, so that's bad. The king's showing up with his advisor and the king of the army. What are, what are you thinking? I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think this is going to go well. Isaac said to them, why? Man, you've been pushing me around. Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said... Let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do to us no harm, just as we have not touched you and not done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. They see, God's with this guy. We're fighting against God. Let's see if we can settle this. Then he made a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they arose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them away. And they departed from him in peace. Now it came about on the same day 
that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug. And he said to them, we have found water. So they called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. What's Isaac got working for him? The presence and the promises of God. He has no rights. He has nothing. What's Isaac done to earn this favor with God? Nothing. He's not a man of great faith. We've already seen he's fearful. And we're going to see in just a minute, he's a lousy, stinking parent. He's going to have a son who internally, purposely rebels against him tweaks him in a decision he makes. Verses 34 and 35. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Berai the Hittite, and Basemoth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Look, when, when Abraham went to Israel, modern-day Israel, and it came time to get Isaac, his son, a wife, he sent a servant back to Ur the Chaldean, which is basically southern Iraq, to get somebody to come because he, he wanted his sons to marry from his people. Esau and Jacob know that. And Jacob, who's Esau's brother, and he'll go through an ordeal. You stay with us. He'll go through an ordeal in trying to find a wife, going back. But Esau, he's ticked at his parents. He's going to show them, so he's going to marry a foreigner. Next week, you'll see. You wonder how far, how far back the dysfunctional families go. Come back next week. You'll see it. <laughs> Rebecca and Isaac have two sons. Isaac loves one and Rebecca loves the other. That's bad parenting to show favoritism, okay? Just, what, what's my point? Isaac's done nothing to merit the favor of God. And yet it's given to him because he's in the line of Abraham. I'm wondering, as you come here today, what are you counting on? You say, Andy, you, don't, you, you need to know about my past. You talk about dysfunctional family, that's me. You talk about bad parenting, that's me. Hey, 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 welcome to the club. Back in 1984, uh, when I went on training with Campus Crusade, uh, you go out to Fort Collins and they have an interview. And they'd interview you one time and you get placed accordingly. Well, I had like... Um, two follow-up interviews from that. And, and later when I got back to campus in the fall, I, my campus director had worked HR before. He did it that summer. And I said, was that typical that you'd have two follow-up interviews? No, Andy, that wasn't typical. They had questions about you. It's not like, oh, you were this shining candidate. They saw issues, probably the same issues you see in me. You know, as a pastor, some of the things I've said I would be embarrassed if you know. My, my wife knows and my kids know. You'd think, gosh, if you knew it, you'd think, man, we're out of here. This guy's pastor, we're out. The only thing I said, if, if we knew some of the stuff you did, we wouldn't have let you in today. So, but you know what? All of us are a mess. And we look at God's people and we think, oh, they're, they're pristine, the forefathers. No, they're not. But there's all they got is the promises of God. So we're, we're, we're wrestling with this question. 
Why should we stake our lives on God's promises? Well, well, these promises were given way back to Abraham. And I want to read, before I answer the question, I want to read what the author of Hebrews said about these promises that God gave to Abraham. It's in Hebrews 6, 13 through 18. It says this, For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them give an oath, given as confirmation at the end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show the heirs of his promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, of his purpose interposed with an oath, so that two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. It's saying, God wanted to give you security. He wanted to give me a foundation. And so when he did, he couldn't find anything stronger but to swear by himself. Do you remember as a kid when you're trying to convince somebody and you, you, you swear, you swear in this, you swear in the Holy Bible, you swear in that, you swear in that. And God... When he gave his promise, he said, look, I, I, I'm swearing by myself. I'm basing them in my name and in my character. And they are unchangeable. So I'm asking the question, what are we staking our lives on? And I'm arguing there's nothing as secure as God and his promises. So, so why should we stake our life on God's promises? Here's why. God's promises are rooted in him. And there's nothing more secure. God's promises, they're rooted in there's nothing more secure than God and His promises. So this past week, we were on a family vacation. Some folks that Hope knew from her Campus Crusade days, they have a house on a lake in Minnesota, and we were up there, and they were wonderful hosts. Well, one day, they took us out on a pontoon boat, and uh, he dropped the anchor, and it was reasonable depth, and he said, we can go swimming here. They had a kayak, and we went out, and we did all kinds of things. But, but you know what that day rode on? That that anchor would hold. Because if we're out swimming and we're out kayaking and the anchor doesn't hold and the boat starts drifting off, well, that's a real bummer. That's going to wreck our day because we're counting on that boat to get back to shore. The anchor was critical. What am I arguing? The anchor to your life is critical. What is it? What is it? You know, Isaac had promises in Abraham because he was son, Abraham's son. And, and I would argue we're in that same line. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says this about the promises of God. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore, also through him, in our amen to the glory of God through us. Hey, if, if you're in Christ... Your family, just like Isaac was. And the promises of God are yes and amen. And we're going to sing that song at the end of the service, affirming that just because we're in the family, just because we're the line of Jesus, we get in on those promises. Remember we talked about the grandkid who goes to Disney? Just because he's family, he's in. Just because you're in Jesus, you're family. And you are rooted in God's promises. So I ask again, on what are you building the foundation of your life? Is it your job? Is it your wife or your husband? Those are great things, but they can be taken away. Is it our nation? That's great, but that can be taken away. 
your health, your money, those things can be taken away. In Christ, you have access to the promises of God just like Isaac did. And as we see in the case of Isaac, man, he didn't have a lot going for him. He wasn't a, an exemplar follower of God. He was fearful. He was a lousy parent, and there was a lot of other dysfunction in his life, but it didn't matter because they were given by grace. So the promises of God are given to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Today, as we talk about building a foundation, I, I trust that your foundation is some, in something that is secure, something like God himself in Jesus. We were in Arizona. We were down there, small church pastor, and um, down there for a few months, and then we contract with the, the one builder in town to have our house built. It's a town of 50,000, so you can kind of follow it along. And in Arizona, there's no basements. The ground is too hard. So what they do when they get ready to build your house is they come and they go, scrape, scrape, scrape. And then they lay an 18-inch slab. You know, as we built our house, we were super excited. We got to pick out our, our, our carpet and our paint and this and that. But, but more than that, our, our dreams kind of rode in that house. Our, our son was a year and a half. He would be two. By the two time he moved in there, we thought, this is where he'll sleep and this is where he'll play. We had hoped to have a second child, which we did. This is where we'll bring him home and this is nursery. But, you know, as they were laying that foundation, I thought all the hopes and dreams I have in this house ride on that 18-inch slab. If that gives out, all our dreams are gone. I sure hope that thing holds. You and I, we have hopes and dreams for life. And that, that's okay. Things we want, things we hope, things we dream. Here's what I'm asking. What's our foundation? Do we have something as firm as that 18-inch cement slab? I'd argue in Jesus we have something infinitely more firm. We have access to the promises of God which are rooted in Him. I pray that we be people who are building on that kind of foundation. Let me pray. The worship team will come up. So Lord, we're grateful that you give us the certainty of your promises and that foundation on which we can build, that anchor that doesn't drift. Lord, if we're looking in other places, uh, Forgive us, and I pray we'd be drawn to you. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.